0: Welcome to a haunted February episode of Dakota Boys Talk Movies. We will be talking today about the Guillermo de Toro movie that came out in, I believe, what did we figure, September of 2015? It was in theaters. Yeah. And this is our video review of it. It's uh, Crimson Peak. So we will be talking about that today after... Um, Giving it a gander, I guess as they say.
1: Yeah, a lot of people might have missed this movie. It kind of came out amongst the uh, when a lot of other movies were going on at that time.
0: Yeah, there. Were, well,
1: you always have the
0: kind of late summer movies that end up intriguing people. Although this year, what were the late summer movies? It would have been *Fan Four Stick*. Uh, I guess that didn't intrigue many people.
1: <laughs> Straight out of Compton came out early. August, yeah, but that was. That yeah, sure, I think that would have that was the only big thing going on. And we were all kind of just waiting for uh the next Hunger Games movie and Spectre.
0: Yeah, and the big movie of September I think would have been Hotel Transylvania two. Yeah. <laughs> which was uh which is basically uh Adam Sandler's meal ticket right now is those those animated movies because anytime he's on screen himself as a human <laughs> Everybody hates it, but those uh, animated ones he does there where he plays the Dracula,
1: I guess he plays Dracula. People like those. Yeah, I think, I think
0: this one was liked even more than the first
1: one. Yeah, I think uh, this movie kind of had to contend with a couple other serious ones, I think that being Sicario and Black Mass.
0: Yeah, as uh, nationally
1: was, yeah. it would have had to compete with those because Sicario
0: is kind of... I think it it came to our area here, didn't it? But yeah. it didn't seem like it really garnered much attention considering a lot of people who saw it really liked it, including you. I mean, it was oh, yeah. wasn't it in your top 5? It I'm was. Sure? Yes. Thought I was remembering that correctly. And so, yeah, I mean there was this one, but that's kind of how Guillermo del Toro is when he finally gets a movie made. A lot of times it just isn't noticed. <laughs> it's kind of the story of his life. I mean, uh I What's what's the movie that he's had get like probably Pan's Labyrinth is about the only movie in the past ten years I can think of for him where people actually like talked about like as a whole talked about it in oh, a in a positive in way? a general positive way because a lot of people are really have mixed feelings about Hellboy. Yeah um,
1: there was a lot of mixed feelings about Pacific Rim. Pacific
0: Rim was very mixed, everybody kinda Shrugged it off as just a brainless uh, popcorn movie. And and so, I mean, he's just kind of a guy who's like that. But in all the, of his... The, the oh, irony
1: of that is that it came out in summer. And those of you who go to movies in the summer, that's all that's being served up to you, really. And all you people who keep giving your money to
0: Transformers.
1: Or- Pacific
0: Rim would have been worth your time because it had a lot more...
1: Heart. <laughs> not to mention, it was just cool watching giant robots fight fight the uh, giant. And monsters. you could tell
0: what was going on, unlike the Transformers movies, where you never know what's going on because everything's flipping around too quick. And then when he does decide to slow mo, it's not of the fight; it's of <laughs> someone on the ground screaming about it or something. And so,
1: yeah. So, I think one of his uh, Glarevel Dalturo's criticisms is that he goes for. Style over
0: substance? That is what a lot of people think, because he is a very visual director. He works very hard at the visuals. In fact, a lot of the... Well, basically, any creature you see in his movies, at least, was initially... Its initial origin point would have been from his brain. And then maybe he's got some other people that tweak it, but... I mean, a lot of times what he does is... Because he... Mostly the I think pretty much every movie he's directed, he's also written. Yeah. And so he draws all these different ideas he has for how he wants things to look, and then he gives it to people and said, you know, make me this world or make me this monster, and so or whatever it is, ghosts or blah.
1: Yeah, it's still up for debate. It's never actually been revealed just how much of the Hobbit trilogy is actually his.
0: Right. For those of you who don't know, he was supposed to be the original director, and he had um, done all the initial screenplay work um on the hobbit movies and that was back when uh it was gonna be two movies and obviously he was directing and then uh just like what happens with a lot of his projects it ends up either getting like just completely stopped (laughs) or he drops out from being a part of it for creative reasons i think he must have like a very long Process pre production process and I think a lot of studios maybe just don't have the patience for it. That's my theory. Yeah. Just judging, why would it happen so much?
1: You know, like just judging by the artwork though, I would I would have definitely rather watched his Hobbit movies.
0: Yeah, it would have been interesting to see how he would have made things look. I think and just to have a a different tinge because he is kind of more of a a. F- fantastical storyteller and I think maybe that might have worked for The Hobbit more so than just kind of a we got a little bit of a Lord of the Rings rehash and it kind of made it a little jarring and confusing at times with Peter Jackson coming back into the into the seat but
1: (laughs) yeah I think part of it too is he doesn't want to just stay stuck doing or working on one thing that isn't going anywhere Uh, wasn't that the problem with, uh, the Hobbit? He wanted to get started on Pacific Rim. Well, I think that, yeah, that
0: was definitely some of it. And I think, uh, that was some of it with, uh, he wanted to make a justice league dark, right? That was the one he was a part of. And my understanding there a little bit was he kind of, he gave them the spot where he's like, this is when I want to do it. And the studio said, well, it doesn't work for us. And he's kind of like, okay, fine. And it was like, yeah, it's just like that's kind of how he is. He's like, he has his things, and if it doesn't work, he just moves on because I think the guy just has so many other things he has ideas for that he doesn't worry about Yeah, getting
1: glued down to one thing too bad. One uh, one movie that he was involved with that actually got so far along in production that a video game was actually being made at the same time was uh, the supposed Halo movie that was supposed to star Will Smith as Master Chief. Uh, when he, when he backed out, the whole thing kind of just, kind of just fell on the floor. Uh, the video game that they were working on eventually did come out, but they tweaked it a little bit. It was called Halo ODST. So if any of you are wondering why that game came out, it was actually su- originally supposed to be the game of the movie that was based on the game.
0: Yeah. And that was something where I think he was offered that job even before he had made Hellboy 2. Yeah. And it just kind of kept saying, yeah, it still might happen, it still might happen. And then he kind of pulled away, and then Neil Blomkamp's name came up after District 9 came out
1: as a possible I think, Helmer. And <laughs> I think every sci-fi movie that is proposed to be made has had Neil Blomkamp's name Yeah, or like
0: James Cameron's name comes <laughs> up, and it's like, James Cameron, he has too many of his own things that take him 10 years to make to do something for a studio, because he's going to work on Avatar for the next 30 years and produce, like, one and a half movies in that time. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, that's a little rundown of our friend Guillermo. Um, I guess I was first introduced to him with Hellboy in 2004. Yeah, 2004, came out. And it just kind of blew me away. It was just so, like... It was so different. It was like you had this hero that just was not a hero look not hero looking didn't act like a hero was literally a demon. <laughs> you know, but it was this really cool um story of really like morality and kind of the idea of what makes a man a man, you know, was the big question they were looking at. And I just thought that movie was just was just fun, cool action. Um, you know, the fact that uh, Ron Perlman playing Hellboy wasn't like some weird cartoon character. The whole movie, like he looked real because they <laughs> they make up him, and it seemed. I mean, Ron Perlman just nailed that. You could tell he was a guy who was very comfortable in makeup. Because, I mean, it was like it was like he wasn't even wearing any makeup. He was so comfortable in that stuff that you just bought him. And I just thought that's what really opened me up and got me to pay attention to Guillermo's career, which is kind of a frustrating – he's kind of a frustrating person to be a fan of because <laughs> yeah. every time you get excited for something, then you you don't really want to hold your breath because you'll pass out and die because – a lot of times it takes forever or never gets made. The stuff that comes up with him, um, but yeah, what was your first? Was that your first run in with him? No, too, I,
1: I had actually seen the uh, the uh, horror movie he he made. I don't know if it was his first one, but the movie Cronus. Oh, that was your yeah. You had seen that one even before. Huh? It was on Showtime one night, and I was bored, and I was like, all right, I'll check this horror movie out, and. It was one word I could use to describe it is original as as most of his stuff is. Um because yeah, he would also he also made Mimic, is that correct? Y- yes, he did. Oh. It was a movie <laughs> he probably wishes he could forget, but It was a hit at the time. Yeah. Hasn't aged well, unfortunately. Well, not many mid nineties movies have. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> But it was I don't know. I was just impressed with like the style of it. Uh, the, it was really creepy overall too, and I was like, I, I don't even at the time I didn't even remember his name. It was just one of those movies. Where you're like, that was that was actually good. Now what else is on? <laughs> and then years down the road, he made this other movie, and I didn't even know it was him until I was watching like the special features on the Hellboy DVD. And it was mentioned, oh, Cronus was probably one of the one of the greatest modern horror movies that we have today. And I was like, wait a minute, I've seen that movie. <laughs> I was like, oh, this guy's awesome. I can't wait to see what he has in store for his next. And then began your frustrating fandom <laughs> <Yeah>. of Nirmal del Toro. I think it was, oh, how long was the wait between Hellboy 1 and 2? It was quite a bit of years, wasn't uh, it? Oh, like four years. Yeah. These yep. these comic book movies now they uh, it seems like before they even come out they're already planning the second one right sometimes we only have to wait two years for the next one yeah I mean as we talk right now they're working on Star Wars Episode Eight and that movie just came out two months ago yeah
0: and I guarantee you that Colin Trevorrow is already working on what he's going to be doing with Episode Nine so I mean yeah. that's just uh, just crazy. Just crazy, um, but let's get into our let's get into our actual review of the PA stories. of on. so this episode, Crimson Peak. Um, basically the rundown story: of this movie is this girl. I don't know. I think we're supposed to assume she's probably very early into adulthood. Um, we just know she's young, and she's kind of she's basically aspiring to. She's an aspiring author, is what she is, and she leans more toward wanting to be, like, her influence would be more Mary Shelley than Jane Austen. In fact, that's basically how they word it in the movie, is that, oh, there's our there's our local Jane Austen, and she's like, well, actually, I relate more with Mary Shelley, which, as you don't know Mary Shelley, she wrote Frankenstein. So you get kind of idea that this girl is more interested in kind of ghost story type things. And so uh that's kind of where this movie starts and we know that she had we we know part of that intrigue into ghost stories is in in, in her interest in those is the fact that her mother died of cholera when she was 10 and she how do you. She was visited by her mother, <laughs> her ghost mother. Um, at first, we're not sure exactly if it really happened or if it was in her traumatized childhood mind. We just know it did happen. And her ghost mother says, Beware of Crimson Peak. And of course, that's going to play into the plot of this movie. So from there we we kind of pick up where in her adulthood then where um yeah like i said she's just this aspiring author her dad is very uh very well off uh businessman who's kind of a ground up uh american you know a classic early american uh he's very wealthy but all his wealth was built by hard work and then uh tom hiddleston's character comes into the story which he's kind of this uh she she gets the perception pretty quick that he it, he's he's a very charismatic guy that seems to have uh, inventor ideas, but that he probably uh isn't very wealthy. Just she can tell just because his suit looked old, even though it was nice and things like that. But um. He he starts wooing her and she starts uh falling for the wooing,
1: I guess so to speak.
0: Yeah, thankfully and, uh,
1: thankfully we don't have to sit through a very long montage of him wooing her like them rowing and, in a boat. No, or- and I
0: was going to ask you about that. How did, how did you feel about that kind of setting up of the period cuz this is like I think it's supposed to take a place in bleh, take place in like 1901. I caught by a few things in the movie it looked like that was the year. And uh, just how that all played out initially in the movie before we got into the rest. Honestly, I'm kind of glad
1: it was skipped over. What was skipped over? The whole wooing, like them courting courting one another.
0: I mean, it was skipped over in a way where, yeah, we knew we needed to know, but we didn't need to have the whole, yeah, like... We we got what we
1: needed. They Giggle, had, giggling on a picnic <laughs> and poking each other in the nose and things like that. But they had great chemistry together. And then <laughs> it was, if anything, it was it was kind of ruined by Jessica Chastain's character with her just kind of dark.
0: Yeah, and she plays uh, uh, Tom Hiddleston's sister Lucille, I believe was her name. And what was what was his name? Thomas. Yes, I just realized that. Thomas Sharp. Yeah, his name was Thomas. Um, Yeah, and she plays it. And she's very, what would you call her, frigid? She comes across very frigid and icy.
1: Yeah, very stern, like, just like she'd rather just put a knife in you than say hello to you. Yeah,
0: like, yeah, like even when she's being friendly, she looks like she's going to, like, bite your face off. (laughs) Uh, but the whole look of this movie is very gothic. Like, everything is, uh, I mean, you could tell that when he not when he was mapping out this story that he purposefully put in this time period to have this period piece and, and that especially when we get to um Allardale Hall, the 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 mansion of Tom Hiddleston and his sisters. It's just this big amazing sharp gothic architecture (laughs) type place in that but it's kind of it's 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 broken down and and in in the movie also and so you kind of get this like it had a jagged gothic beauty but at the same time we see the 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 decrepit decay of it too at the same time and it it made it a very uh Intriguing set piece, I guess, to the movie where it was almost a character in the movie, in a way, just that house, (laughs) so
1: to speak. But yeah, just to put it into terms that you can understand, this house represents uh, the kind of character it gives off for for foreboding. The kind of same, the same foreboding uh, sense of dread that Hannibal Lecter gave off. (laughs) <laughs> in silence of the lambs. it's just ugh. there's there's very few shots in this in the house where it's it's not kinda creepy. There's not shadows everywhere. You're not hearing things creaking, the moaning, was it yeah. the wind? Was it a person?
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, and so you kinda have this this whole thing. And then basically what a lot of this movie is is actually it has a mixture of of mystery with the horror because you for a lot of the movie you're trying to figure out exactly why Jessica Chastain's character is so frigid. You know, what is the deal with with uh, the way her brother, you know, Tom Hiddleston's character acts. Um you're just you're not quite sure of their motives and and you you know and, and what and you're kinda Questioning <laughs> just so what how what everything is playing out in this movie, and so it does end up being almost as much a mystery as a horror movie. Um, I guess in my eyes, I don't know what is that what you're kind of feeling with this.
1: Yeah, uh, this movie has some scary parts, but I wouldn't say it was a horror movie.
0: Well, I in mean the, that's the, what the, it was billed as. Yeah. They built it as a horror movie, and I would, and it really just depends on what you consider horror because. In its purest sense it was because, uh, I mean, a horror movie is just anything that has any sort of creep factor. And this movie had a lot of creep factor and it had a big house that was you could consider in the haunted house category, so to speak. And so, I mean, it had those things to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was definitely a blending now. We'll try not to uh, delve too much into it in case you, you know, obviously, if you haven't seen it, we don't want to
1: spoil anything too big with it. But, uh... yeah, this uh, when this movie came out, people who saw it said kind of said the same thing. And this isn't a traditional horror movie. It's a gothic love story. And even after seeing the movie, I don't know what they were referring to. Because oh. it's. I mean, there's a love story in there, but it's—I I wouldn't say that's—it's really the movie is about a love story of any kind.
0: Yeah, it. Well, it, <laughs> he kind of blends. It's—it's it's, kind—it's of, kind of has a love story element. It kind of has a ghost story element. It kind of has. Just yeah, like a, almost like a murder mystery type element, you know, to it. And so, I mean, he's kind of got all these things going on, and he kind of, he kind of blended it all into one story. And I would say that, for the most part, that worked. It didn't feel like, you know, he was, like, it was trying to be something it wasn't. You know, the 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 world, and the characters he had set up made everything as we kind of come together. The one drawback I had in terms of maybe characters was that I wasn't quite buying why she why Mia Wazakowska's character she plays the 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 lead in this movie she plays uh what is her name Edith I believe is her name yes and I wasn't really quite buying her total I'm in love with him thing to where, you know, she... And maybe that's where it was lacking. Maybe we did need to know a little bit more about their love story because it was hard for me to totally buy into the fact that she was just so hook, line, and sinker. Except that, I don't know, maybe she felt like this was going to be the best option. <laughs> and she saw him as a as a charismatic interesting man that you know she was intrigued by but i don't know and maybe some of it was that she wasn't quite convincing enough where i felt like she was that in love with him i don't
1: know did you feel that or am i (laughs) i think one of the things that uh there's kind of there's kind of a big time skip there and i wonder Maybe if there's some scenes he had, Guillermo del Toro had, that maybe would have fleshed it out. Um, there's kind of no way of avoiding this, so I'll just throw it out there. The character's father does die.
0: Mia Wasikowska.
1: Yes, her character. Uh, and she, obviously, only one parent would be pretty broken up with that. I, uh makes me wonder if he didn't just completely, completely just kind of jump in there and fill the fill the void that she was she was that's true i guess
0: i guess that is implied that like you know she was already kind of falling for him and then when her dad did die i mean he was the one that was there for her and because, so maybe that is like maybe I maybe I just didn't quite process that enough to really like okay
1: yeah she does she does take the death pretty hard I mean there's that scene where she has to go and view the body and she's just devastated
0: yeah almost, almost
1: to a point of denial yeah slash hysterical yeah but I think uh, I don't know maybe that's the weak point that maybe they they should have fleshed that out more we don't even know how long it had been from her father passing away till she arrives in England. So, I'm sure there was Yeah, there would have been a boat trip there. It took a little <laughs> bit of time.
0: <laughs> Let alone, you know, when they actually did leave, but um yeah, as far as the stuff that that this that this director is known for, everything looked pretty creepy or pretty like uh visually interesting to look at. I don't know what kind of words to use. We're just kind of like kind of drew your eyes in because there was like in every shot I noticed, especially when she goes to England and they're at their, their house that there's the whole time. Whenever they're talking in a conversation, there's, there's always something in the background going on like the shot, like there, you know, there's something, just like the, like I said, the house was almost a character to where, even when they were in their in their conversation, like I said, this house is kind of decrepit and falling apart. So there's always something catching your eye in the background too, and it was just kind of interesting because it it really uh, pulled you into that environment that they were in by having things just kind of going on all around them as they're talking. I don't know, did you notice that too, where it was just kind of like because those things were going on, it just kind of kept you in in that. In that place where
1: you were in the story, yeah, um, one thing that I did kind of notice is uh there's very few scenes where you're actually hearing nothing in this movie. There's always kind of like house creaking, it's uh, true noises rattling the a dog kind of barking,
0: yeah, even when there's not dialogue, there's still some sort of noise, even a noise that's beyond like the I mean, it's like, there's always something even more than that. It's just, there's just, oh yeah, you're right. There's just always something. And, and it seem and everything is kind of catching you because everything, you know, like you said, this is kind of a partial mystery, maybe even half mystery. You could call it everything that's kind of going on or making noise. You want to kind of catch it because you think, well, I could play a part, (laughs) kind of a part in something or be important. For some reason, and so it, it does kind of keep you intrigued, intrigued in that way. Um, as far as just overall acting and, and just kind of everyone in their characters, I mean, other than those main three people we already talked about, you had Charlie Hunnam, was also in this movie, uh, who played her dad? Jim
1: Beaver. Jim Beaver from Supernatural fame.
0: Um, then a lot of the other parts were really just more supporting cast, like Jonathan Hyde had a small role. Uh, some other Who were some other ones you. Might have heard of out there in the world, uh Leslie hope played one of the townswomen, <laughs> and so I mean there's kind of some other names, but you really focus on you know kind of just those kind of handful there, but how did you feel about just kind of the the acting in this movie
1: um uh well, besides the main leads i mean there's there's really no weak spots uh in the acting of this movie. Everyone was pretty spot on. Uh, I guess that's one thing that uh, Guillermo del Toro is really good at—is kind of just getting mileage out of his actors. I mean, yeah, and it seems like uh, whoever
0: he gets for the movies, they they really buy into his vision, and I think that always helps when you have actors that aren't just like punching the time clock, yeah, <laughs> but kind of buy into the vision and the story. That really helps them play their best. I mean, other than the other thing you always hear actors say, like, well, the reason I was good is that everyone else around me was good. You know, people, they always say that, you know, you, you're really as good as the people around you because they're, they're challenging you to step up your game or they're aiding you in stepping up your game. But I don't know. I mean, I had mixed feelings about (laughs) the acting as a whole. I, I honestly, Mia Wasikowska, I find her in anything I've ever seen her in, just lacking. Huh. I don't know. This is – and honestly, in this movie, out of any of the ones I've seen her in, I feel like she's the the, the least lacking. Just like she felt like she's – but a lot of movies – I don't know. She has this face where she looks like she's perpetually bored. <laughs> yeah. And so it's kind of hard for me to, like, I don't know, really invest in her when she's, like, always perpetually bored kind of like when I saw that Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland she plays Alice and I think she is again here in the next one. She's like she comes back to whatever they he called it not Wonderland Underland or whatever. She's like bored <laughs> like that whole movie. And I think it's cuz everything around her is probably green screens is that whole movie CGI so. <laughs> it's
1: yeah. Probably didn't help. Um she must require some pretty heavy direction honestly.
0: But uh yeah like like Tom Hiddleston I thought he's pretty well cast. He fit really well in this period. <laughs> and Dakota joked how he looks like uh Johnny Depp's character in The Corpse Bride, which is a stop motion movie, <laughs> and he kind of does this cuz he's so thin, lanky and pale. <laughs> and uh Jessica Chastain Jessica Chastain um Yeah, I mean, I've, I mean, she she fit and was fine and and uh um Jim Beaver was fine in the role he had he did a good job but yeah I I don't know I just have trouble I just have trouble with Mia Wazikowska I don't know I just a lot of people really like her and talk about how great of an actress she is and I guess there's a movie called Tracks that she did where she plays a true story of a woman who went across I believe the Australian desert by I, herself she's kind of an introvert who decided to do this trek on her own
1: I've honestly never heard of that movie uh, so it I wasn't can't the, I
0: don't remember if it was the Australian desert anyway and I don't know. That's a movie where a lot of people said she's really good in, and so maybe maybe she is. Maybe that was a place where she didn't have a bored face. I don't know, I don't know but uh, um, but you're right. It, it is that is one thing that is kind of staple in his movies. I mean, even like the Hellboy movies, he could just shrug off as like, oh, whatever you want to call those, just schlock you know or whatever that uh ron perlman could practically be oscar nominated in my opinion for how well he fits that role you know and and uh and doug jones as abe sapien and things i mean you're right i mean he just he fits people into the right roles and i think that does help and and in this movie because it felt really del toro (laughs) this movie that he probably really wanted to find people who he thought would be the best for th- these roles that he created. Um but yeah. But I don't know, do you have anything more to say about the movie?
1: Um well fans of uh fans of Son Ar- Sons of Anarchy are definitely going to be surprised to see Charlie Hunnam in this yeah, he this looks is... like he's 12 because he has, like, <laughs> shaved face. and. <laughs> this is – uh, the, he's not very big Uh, in the movie. His character doesn't play a very huge part. But uh, it just was weird watching him play kind of this – he's just an – Dapper Dan? Yeah. <laughs> just a really kind of nice guy, not swearing, not trying to fight anybody. It was just – I don't know. Just kind of playing a role. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. He was just in the background somewhere, I guess. And he's kind of
0: it. a guy who I think now that Sons of Anarchy are, is over, we're supposed to be expecting big and great things from him in the movie world. But I don't know. <laughs> we'll see what happens. I think he's got a King Arthur movie coming out. But Guy Ritchie's directing it, so that could really How? go either way. <laughs> um, Yeah, and so – Um, again, I mean, just as a warning, this is still a creepy movie, and so, I mean, for those of you out there who are faint of heart with, um, creepiness things or scary moments, there are those in this movie, and so there's the Dakota Boys warning on that, but just overall, uh, what would you, how would you grade this movie, Dakota?
1: um uh well we don't actually have an official grading system so
0: (laughs) it could be i you could give it two b's up uh we don't really you could you could mix different grading things together
1: (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna give it three stars three out of four stars there you go three
0: out of four stars yeah We're, we're going to the four star system not a five today we are we're going to the okay today we're doing the four star system Tomorrow might be five. <laughs> Tomorrow might be letter grades. I don't know. So we're doing a four-star system on this episode, and Dakota gives it a – that might be a fun thing to do. I think that's what we'll do on this show is you're just going to have to tune in, and every time we grade a movie, it'll be on a different scale, and you'll have to decide what that means because that's kind of fun. Um. So Dakota gives it a three a three out of four, and I think I will give it a – Two out
1: of four, not bad. Not I don't,
0: bad. I don't, I don't really rate it.
1: To to kind of it keep... was
0: lacking in certain ways, and it was kind of a little mm, to... in certain ways. But you know, for those of you out there who like you know those kind of cr- creepy mystery sort of movies, this is right up your alley. So don't let my grade, I guess, deter
1: you so much, but. To kind of keep things in perspective, uh, we talked about doing a horror movie tonight. This was the best worst option, I guess you could say. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because we have the paranormal activity movie. What was it? Ghost Dimension. Where you finally see them. (laughs) Goosebumps, which we both kind of laughed at as soon as I suggested it. Yeah, which, who knows? That could be fine, but. Yeah, I have a feeling we'd appreciate it more if we were I feel eight like, years old. Well, and
0: I feel like when you look at the cover of Goosebumps, that's all you need to know. If you know exactly what it's going to be, and you know by the cover of that movie if it's going to be one you are going to like or you are going to hate, it was kind of like Paul Blart Mall Cop. You look at the cover, and if you think it's funny seeing Kevin J- Kevin James with a little mustache riding on a Segway charging at the screen, you know you are going to like that movie. That's all you need to know, you know. And so, or you are going to hate that movie based on that image. It just that it just tells you. And I feel like that's how it is with goosebumps.
1: <laughs> yeah. Such a shame too. <laughs> so uh uh
0: yeah, so again, just to recap, uh on Crimson Peak here, Dakota gives it on our four star system we're using tonight a three out of four, and I give it a two and a half out of four. Uh you know, this is this just became available, you know, on digital rentals, red box rentals. Uh Netflix, DVD, Blu-ray rentals—you know, whatever you happen to use—it just became available just what a couple of weeks ago. I think this came out, and so it's around.
1: Oh, uh, it actually just came out last Tuesday. So. Okay,
0: yeah, it's it's yeah, it's pretty fresh. So, um,
1: when he says that, he doesn't mean Rotten Tomatoes fresh though. So yeah, I'm talking about like
0: <laughs> fresh released.
1: Um,
0: yeah, so hopefully, um, we steered you in a direction that is helpful, whether it means you go yeah, I think I'll skip that one or intrigues you maybe a little bit to maybe check this one out. Um, Part of the reason Dakota and I he, he settled on this one is just because of the fact that uh, we are Del Toro fans. Um, I think, I, honestly, I don't know about you Dakota, but I think that guy somewhere in him there's an there's an oscar movie I, I i think if if he finally got his chance there's something in there well he's um, still
1: he's still fairly young i mean in, um but i
0: mean like it just seems like he never gets these, he never quite makes it <laughs> happen yeah. on a lot of things he does but i think somewhere in there he's going to be a name that people are going to maybe start paying attention to more one of these days um
1: yeah, uh, I think a part of it has to do with he seems to, he seems to want to really do his own thing. Yeah, like he wants to write his own scripts and right. And I think if he just kind of just picked the script he thought was really good, kind of what Ridley Scott does, and just went with it, I think I think he'd honestly be a lot better off.
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, he's he's kind of very. Uh, he has that kind of George Lucas mindset where. He really is hands-on with everything he does, and maybe sometimes that is his his uh, worst enemy <laughs> as much as it is his friend. <laughs> um, so, yeah, well, there's our video review of that. So, uh, yeah, you can check us out on the Facebook, although um, my understanding is that the guy who created Napster told Zuckerberg to drop the the which is why we don't call it the Facebook. No, let's get get all, uh, but yes, we're on Facebook. Like us on there. If you already haven't, um, you know, that'd be a good place to throw comments our way. Um, give us ideas you'd like of things you'd like to see on the show, whether it's something you would like Dakota to do. Embarrassing. Um, Oh, okay. He's pretty much up for anything embarrassing. So, so I'll try anything, anything like once. that or something you think like, Hey, I wonder what they think of, you know, this movie or something like that. So you can throw those on there. Um And then also we just put a lot of, we try to keep up on movie news and throw that stuff on there um as an easy place for it to be collected for your um, knowing
1: got a lot of hot new trailers up yeah, there too there's been,
0: uh, been a lot of hot new trailers I, as the Super Bowl is going on I was posting them on there so if you guys like that you probably noticed that in your news feed uh yeah so check it out there also just subscri- hopefully you will subscribe to us on uh iTunes or your, or uh YouTube any of those places we're in those places that's where wherever you're listening to us uh yeah subscribe and uh rate us rate the episodes give a thumbs up on youtube all those fun things that just help us know you're there and you care so i think with that we'll close out this episode so this is steven
1: and this is dakota and stay safe and lock your doors